faith. Oh, she tricked me. Oh, she tricked me. You were muted. I was muted. But you're not muted now. So tell us again. Where, where are we? What? Who are we? What are we doing here? You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Sasha, and this is Faith FM. That's right. Welcome. We're super Welcome. excited to have you guys here. I'm just putting my ghetto pop filter on now. It's uh, got no no attachment points anymore. It just just hangs there hey. on the microphone. But hey, it but seems it hangs to work. Very so well. it's okay. It's so anyway, we're excited that you're here with us today. Welcome. And uh, how are you going? I'm doing really well. Thanks. That's good. Why are you doing so well? I'm doing because well. you can't be really good without a reason. You got to be because, able to explain it. Well, it's even if it's like even if it doesn't sound like it's that much the of a long thing. weekend coming up. You and got some plans for the beach. Even though I know it's lockdown, but we can go to the beach for exercise. So. That's good. Yeah, enjoy your exercise. That's exciting. And it's going to be my study free day. Even I've got a whole week off next week from school. And oh, awesome! That's exciting. But I'm going to spend most of that week in the library. Yep. But that's okay, because I've got Monday off. Yay! Welcome to adulthood. Yes. Where all of your holidays are spent doing work. Yes. <laughs> if you're having all a break from work, you might be just doing housework or, you know, yeah. study work. But that's okay. Yeah, Life okay. is good. It's God said good. work six days a week, so, you know, yeah. it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> that's very exciting. I'm excited about the long weekend, too, because all year long, my mm. wife and I have been planning... To have this weekend away, and we can't have it away, but we're still okay. having it off. We decided, you know what? Yeah. We're still going to have a break because we put it on the calendar from the beginning of the year that we would have have a break this weekend, and uh, so we're going to. So That's we're excited happening. about that. That's exciting. So we're going to – we might uh, – here's some ideas. We thought maybe yeah. we'll make a fort in the living room and camp inside the house. Um, that, that could be fun. Pretend like we're five and – It's true. Have a good time. Um, also, also it's, and we can also exercise at the beach, which we live just can. across the road from. So that's a real blessing as well. And daylight savings is coming in, which means you have extra daylight. But if you're having a holiday, it doesn't matter what it time it is. It doesn't matter. Because you can, sun's out, I'm out. That's the way you yeah. do it. I love it. Anyway, we hope that you are having a wonderful day. We hope that you've got some sort of exciting lockdown plans. Or if you're out of lockdown, we hope that you've got some exciting non-lockdown plans. Mm. I don't know how that works. I think everybody's on lockdown anymore. Anyway, I think Queensland's not. Okay. Well, yeah. enjoy your long weekend either way, but stick around because we've got a great show lined up for you today. We are continuing our study, our journey through John. Mm. That is the unofficial title of this series because I like alliteration and why not? Nobody said it was titled something else first, so that's the official title so the official now. Title. We just changed it. The Journey Through John. And uh, we're going to continue on with that starting off today, which covers the first of the signs of Jesus in the Gospel of John. We've got our friend Broden calling in for our Testify segment. It's going to be a great show today. You won't want to miss it. And uh, stick around for that code word. It's going to come at you sometime during the show. And when we give that word out, you'll be able to call in with your responses to receive a free copy of something that we'll tell you about a little bit later. This is Anna Beden unimaginable. Have you ever felt joy deep inside your soul? Have you ever felt a love that never would grow cold? And have you ever found the peace that trumps no matter what may come? of a high school teacher <laughs> There's a place we're going to There's a place with all those attributes and there's 
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and that was Anna Beden with Unimaginable. And it has come that time of our show, my friends, where we talk about the weird and wonderful world that God has made. Oh, wow, we were so in sync. That was good. Maybe we should join up for synchronized speaking. Speaking. Yeah. It could be the newest Olympic sport, you know, for, I don't know, how actually, there's a genuine question. When's the next oh. Olympics? Because they they postponed Olympics for a year, didn't they? So it's still in... 2024? Yeah, it's still in 2024. Okay. Yep. So, so Paris it's, it's 2024. Like 20, all right, everybody who's listening to this, you, you guys have some clout. We get some backing behind this. We might be able to get synchronized speaking into the Olympics. So I think we should try for this. Anyway, what are our weird and wonderful oh. facts for us today, Tash? Well, Hopefully they're more exciting than synchronized speaking. So it's spring. <laughs> <laughs> it's spring and tis the season of flowers. And, and of plovers, unfortunately. And of plovers, yes. <laughs> they're everywhere. Thankfully, my dog is very good at... At getting Detecting, chasing them yeah. away. No, he knows when they're there they before I know they're there. If that makes sense. Well, that's good because they always yeah. chase me. Oh, I've yeah. been attacked by plovers at least oh, once this week. I think horrible. at least three times in the last fortnight. Ugh. Okay, so they always put their nests in the worst places. Sorry, I'm taking over the show. They do in the middle. Not, in not, the middle. <laughs> you had, anyway, <laughs> sorry. Let's not talk segment. about plovers. Let's, 
Let's talk about something exciting. Okay. Sorry, my bad. Well, it's nearly October, which is tomorrow, and usually it's the season of weddings. It is. That's yeah, but unfortunately, because I got married in summer. I don't know what you're talking where about. Where most people get married either in spring or in autumn. So September, October, November, or. The other months that are autumn. March, April, and May. March, April, and May. Yes. All right, so weddings. Tell me more. So weddings. Okay, but at the moment, uh, all you can have right now is a small wedding. You can only have five people at your wedding. So that's yourself, um, the person you're marrying, uh, two witnesses, which is the um, maid of honor and the groomsman, and um, what do you call it? Celebrant. And the celebrant. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's it. So that's the five. And on average, what people would usually spend on a wedding – Oh, I know this stuff. This can oh. I take a stab? Oh yeah, look, I haven't been. I'm, I've never been married, but Robbie has been married. So yeah, take a stab. Still am, thankfully. Yes. Um, the the reality is, depending on what statistic you look at, it can be it can vary vastly. We did not spend anywhere near this much money. Praise the Lord. Yeah. But uh, I think the average Australian wedding is is something like between fifteen and twenty five thousand dollars. It's actually twenty five and thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> They aim for about twenty twenty five thousand. Do you think that number's decreased during out. COVID? Like when people have been eloping okay. or doing five person weddings. So during COVID, I hope that you spend oh, less money because usually it's mostly yeah. on like yeah. like food and yeah, it's it's catering and and um, the location location. But venues this, are expensive. You put yeah. wedding on your list. Oh. The same place that cost you two dollars on they Tuesday will cost you four thousand dollars on Wednesday. Exactly right. It's crazy. Yeah. So the extortion. If you're out there and you're a wedding planner, I think you need to repent. <laughs> That's his livelihood. So that's <laughs> Charge reasonable. God hates dishonest decline. scales. There's been a decline, Ruby. Says. Don't worry. <laughs> like <laughs> there's a been there's been a decline in the industry, thirty five percent, because of the pandemic, obviously. And also because of over overpriced. Yeah, totally overpriced. <laughs> okay, so average average spend on a, a wedding dress. These are Australian statistics. Too much money. Three thousand oh. dollars. Flowers, one thousand nine hundred dollars. Catering, $12,000. That's a lot of food. Okay. Most expensive wedding, though, ever, was $55 million US dollars. You know what that tells me? Oh. You, you, <laughs> you, you, you need to be uh, investing your, your finances a little bit more. Broadly. A little bit, but he was, <laughs> apparently it was. You'd have uh, to be so filthy, stinking rich to do that yeah, that you wouldn't have noticed. I think he's like the third richest man in the in, in Britain. Okay. Yeah. So his daughter got married and decided, hey, let's just throw a six-day event, invite people like Kylie Minogue to perform. Well, that's really interesting. $55 million weddings, later. We're going to talk about a wedding today that took multiple days. That's interesting. Very good. Okay, so Robbie, what's the largest wedding you've ever been to? Uh, I haven't been to that many weddings, and a lot of them have been in COVID. <laughs> okay. So, Well, I have my sister when she got married. Probably 200 people. 450 people there. Um, one of my best friends. Okay. She had 15 bridesmaids. Yeah. You know yeah. what I did when I got married? It's I crazy. told my wife, I was like, one would be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, but I got too many friends. And so it was, I was like, well, yeah. if you're going to make it more than one, then I got to think about this. Wow. Okay. Just make it one. It's easy. I know. It's, it's one, easy with one. But, one dude. But we're, uh, it's like. Bro, sorted. My closest friend, my closest <laughs> relative, my, the childhood friend. It just is a, it's hard when you're a woman. You have to include everybody. Well, if you go more than one, then you have to include everybody. That's the challenge. It's this is true. Okay, I'm writing anyway, these down. For yeah, future, I'm giving for you future. tips for the future here, Tash. Oh. <laughs> 
Okay, so the longest. If they're wedding, not your friend afterwards because you said because you didn't invite them to be in your bridal party, then I think you need then, to just reconsider to, their yeah, friendship. Yeah, anyway. No, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Were they really my friends? Okay, last one. What is? What do you think is the biggest and longest wedding that's ever happened in history? Two weeks. All right. 18 days. Woo, that's nearly three weeks. It was a sultan in the 17th century, and yeah, it lasted two and a half weeks, included a parade, some ceremonies, contests between athletes and wrestlers, singing, dancing, fireworks, everything. Wow. That's the biggest wedding that we have. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, but... I wouldn't want to go to that wedding, to be totally honest. It's definitely an event. I think a wedding that lasts till 9 p.m. is pretty late, to be totally honest. But (laughs) anyway... This is Wendell Kimbrow. Wake up, O daughter of Zion. Wake up, O daughter of Zion. Leave here your clothing of shame. No more the orphan or harlot. See, I give you a Take up these garments of splendor, beautiful daughter, rise up. Feel my great mercy surround you, dress in the gown of my Listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. That was Wendell Kimbrough with Wake Up, O Daughter of Zion. And it has come that portion of our show where we 
are doing our testify segment where we have lovely friends who are calling in to testify about things that Jesus has done or is doing in their life today. And today we've got our friend Broden on the line. Are you there, Broden? Hey, Broden. Oh, you there, Broden? Hey, Shell, have we got Broden on the line? Yep, is he there? I'm here. Hey, you were probably Hello. there the whole time, and you were just muted, so we couldn't hear you. But we can hear you now. So how are you <laughs> no, going, Brody? Yeah, great. Not too bad, thanks. That's excellent. Well, we are super pleased to have you on here. I haven't seen you in a while because I took intermission this semester and haven't been in classes. So I uh, hope that you've been well. But tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into your story. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I'm originally from Victoria, uh, the place to be. And I am a college student studying my bachelor in ministry and theology. Awesome, awesome, very cool. And uh, we're we're super excited to have you here. I, if I if I understand correctly, I think you you have a, a ministry that you run. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. And that's Way Changers yeah. Ministry. Yeah, Way Changers Ministry. Very yeah. cool. And if people would like to know more about that ministry, where can they find some information about it? Uh, we have social media accounts, or they can go to waychangerministries.org. So waychangerministries.org if you'd like to check out Broden's ministry. Well, the time is yours, my friend. Tell us your story. We'd love to hear it. Awesome. Well, I guess, um, I mean, I'm sure we can all look over our lives and find plenty of times where, where God has intervened and answered prayers in an awesome way. Um, but a highlight that sticks out for myself is, I was, I was raised in the church and I left the church. And um, as I started coming back, um, I started studying. And sorry, I don't know what happened there. I started studying, and um, as I was doing some Bible study, I was actually studying on tithes. And I just started coming back to the church. My wife at the time was, was not a Christian. And through that, I came to her and I said, listen, um, I've been convicted. I, I want to start paying tithes. Yeah, that and, could have been a difficult conversation. Well, it was a difficult conversation. <laughs> um, she, wasn't, she wasn't really on board for that. And um, this particular week, we were really struggling. And, but she, she reluctantly accepted it and said, all right, well, next payday, we can, we can go from there. And I said, oh, look, I want to do it this week. And... She was like, but we don't have money. And I said, well, and then I started a verse in, uh, in Malachi 3.10, which is uh, a very popular verse when it comes to tithe paying. And I just said, look, there's a promise here. And, and I said, I, wanna, I want to go with this. And basically, I put God on trial. It was probably pretty bold of me now that I look back on it. But I made a deal with her. I said, look, if we pay tithe this week and God doesn't provide, then we won't pay tithes anymore. And you won't ever hear me ask that again. And so she was like, okay, deal, because obviously she probably thought nothing was going to happen. <laughs> but um, to cut the story short, we paid tithes, and afterwards, um, that night we received a call from her dad. And and this was really out of the blue. Um I don't have time to go into too much detail, but he rang and he said, hey, look, I've got $100 sitting here. Um, would you, do you need any money? And wow. I, remember, I remember her looking at me and she's like, what? Did you talk to my dad? <laughs> and um, 
And I was, yeah, I was just like, oh, to be honest, it was just as awesome for me as it was for her. And then not long afterwards, her, her nan rang and she said, look, I've got some extra money here. Um, and she actually offered, offered us $200. Wow. And <clears throat> yeah, so all up, we received $300. And, and look, I know that that's not always how God provides. Mm. But I really do believe that he intervened there to prove a point. Yeah. And and it wasn't until years later that we were reflecting on that and we said, because none of my wife's family are Christian. Um, we were both reflecting on that and we were just thinking how amazing it is that, that God actually used people that weren't even Christian to fulfill his promise. Woo! Oh, man, that's a sermon and a half right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's something that really encourages us. And, you know, like we all have times where we struggle and it's like, you know, we'll... Um, you know, paying tithes and things like that. And, you know, it's whenever we struggle with that and we've got things going on, that's the story that we always bring up to one another to, to just remind us of how good God is. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your short, uh, your story, your story, Broden. <laughs> um, is there anything that you'd nah. like to share with our listeners as we close? Any final words? Uh, yeah, look, I'd love to share a quick Bible verse um, from Psalm 50 verse 10. And it is for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on the thousand hills. And I think we need to always remember that no matter what we do, what we struggle with, um, through obedience, God will always provide. He owns the world and he can always find a way to help us. Absolutely. Oh, amen. Amen and amen. What a amen. beautiful story, Brody. Uh, Brody. Broden. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling in. We pray that God will bless you and your ministry. If you'd like to find out more about the the things that Broden is involved in, again, you can check out waychangerministries.org, and uh, you can check them out on social media as well. God bless you, my friend. This is the Clark family. He's all I need. I don't need silver. There's nowhere to run When I'm in trouble Caught in the storm He takes care of me He's all I need When my time comes When I cross that river When life here is done He fought the battle The victory's been won He's all I need Well, I don't I don't need fame I don't even care If anyone down here Even knows my name Because I know Jesus And He knows me And that's all that matters 
is the master and he's my everything. He's all I need when trials come. He's all I need when there's nowhere to run. When I'm in trouble, caught in the storm, he takes care of me. He's all I need when my time comes. When I cross that river, when life here is done. He fought the battle, the victory's been won. He's all I need. He's all I need when trials come. He's all I need when there's nowhere to run. When I'm in trouble, caught in the storm, He takes care of me. He's all I need when my time comes. When I cross that river, when my fear is done. He fought the battle, the victory's been won. He's all I need. He fought the battle, the victory's been won. He's all I need. You're listening to Real Faith, but it's not as real as it could be. Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live.
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tasha, and this is Faith FM. You! Now, before we go any further, I just wanted to do a plug, because we would love to hear from you with your thoughts, your questions, your comments, and you can send all of those at any time during the show to 0491-064-669. You can do that by text, you can do that by calling, and that number again, just to, in case you forgot it was. It's 0491-064-669. Awesome. And uh, just a word. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're <laughs> on to it. I want you to hang out and keep your ears open because we are at some point during this Bible study, we're going to give you a secret code word. And if you are the first caller, I think it's the first caller today. Ooh, the first two callers today. The first two callers in today are going to receive a free copy of this. Jesus 101, the Gospel of John, but it's a DVD. It's not a book today. Ooh, yeah. so if you're not a reader, that's okay. You've got access to a free DVD today going through the Gospel of John. And what does that entail? Tell, tell us a little bit more about this thing. Well, she goes through the story of Christ's love in John and his self and salvation, but also she uses um, everyday items to demonstrate like the object lessons. And I think that's really cool. That's super cool. So particularly helpful if say you've got kids who've been at home and they're hanging out and it's uh, you know schools online, all of this stuff, and you're like, how can I be sharing Jesus with my kids? This is a great opportunity. So when you hear that code word and hang out for it. We'll give it to you during the Bible study sometime today, and uh, you can call in, and when you have that code word, you'll receive a free copy of that. Again, first two callers. That number again is 0491-064-669. And we're going to start with a word of prayer as we dive into Scripture. Would you like to pray for us today, Tash? Yeah, no worries. Father God, we just come before you now. We want to thank you for your word and thank you for um, Faith FM and for for being able to listen on the airwaves. And we just ask for your spirit to lead us and guide us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Awesome. So we are on John chapter 2, and the the plan today is to get through all of John chapter 2. It may spark some questions. I'm kind of hoping it'll spark some Mm. questions for our question of the week. Keep that in the back of your mind. No question is too big or too small for us to consider. No guarantees we have all of the answers. In fact, actually, I guarantee you we don't have all of the answers. That's a better way to say it, isn't it? Yeah. But we can try and find some answers from Scripture to be a blessing to you. So we are in the Gospel of John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament, and we are in chapter 2. And the context here that we finished off with in our last episode, our last show, was that Jesus had been announced by John the Baptist. He had begun his public ministry, and he had started inviting people to come and see and inviting people to follow him. And at this point in the story, we're, we're told in gospel, uh, John's Gospel account that there were at least five people following him because there was an unnamed disciple, there was Andrew, then there was Peter, then there was Philip, then there was Nathaniel. So we have at least five followers of Jesus that are with him in this story, and this this is kind of the background and the context, and we're going to dive right in because there's a lot of cool stuff to, to explore today. So we're in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Okay, so what's happening so far? Dun, dun, dun. So right now, (laughs) it starts with the third day. So the first two days is when um, he's been... Uh, his his public ministry has started to the second day. He um, calls the disciples, and now it's the third day. 
Um, I actually looked I, this up because I was confused about that because it says John says something and then the next day and then there was another next day. Yeah. So there was already three days in the story. And I was like, how's this day three? Yeah, I don't, I I don't get tripping. it either. So I looked this up in a Bible commentary. So if you're like me, are a little yeah. bit of a stickler for details when it comes to stories like this, this is what it said in a Bible commentary that I looked up. It says yeah. that the third day is an idiomatic expression that was common in Hebrew and Greek that basically means the day after tomorrow. Isn't that interesting? So it's kind of like the day the day that John spoke, then the next day Peter and Andrew, then the next day Philip and Nathaniel, and then the day after the day after. Yeah. Does that make sense? I thought that was really interesting. So it's like a Greek-Hebrew expression. So it's kind of lost so in translation like a little bit for us. the fourth day. So it sounds kind of like it's the, the fifth day or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But anyway, it, I just thought that was interesting. So it's an idiomatic expression to basically say something along the lines of what we would call the day after tomorrow. Okay. I just have another question before yeah, yeah. we go on. Because sometimes I don't know if I, I have the answers. Sometimes I get confused because you read John's story and the account goes, he called the disciples and then it's he's at a wedding. But in other accounts, it goes in a different order. Is it? There's no... So my question is, is which order is the right order? I think in order to find the correct order or sequence of events, you really have to look at all of them together and to navigate through those. Because what you're seeing is you're seeing the, the account of Jesus' life from, from four different angles. And one of those angles, by the way, Luke's angle, is a, col- is a collection collated from speaking to a number of witnesses <laughs> and then collating that information together. So in order to get the clearest picture of the timeline, and it's not... Uh, I don't think that we have a 100% perfect understanding of exactly where every single thing wound up, but we have a very solid general timeline over the three-and-a-half-year period that we, we can really get the clearest picture by by studying and comparing each of the gospel accounts. Okay. Now, John's gospel, remember, we John's gospel is different than the other what's called the synoptic gospels, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, in that John's specific purpose and how he has organized the structure of the book that he's written, which is incredibly detailed, it's very complex, and it has multiple layers of meaning that he's trying to communicate. And the purpose of his gospel is to highlight the stories and the things from John's perspective that he saw of Jesus that highlight the divinity of Jesus or, or, or Jesus as being the son of God. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully that's helpful. Well, it's just when I remember when I was first reading, um, uh, through the gospels and young, this a lot younger. And I just like, I was always confused. Like, Oh, it doesn't make sense. He did this and then he did this. But in this book, in John's book, he says he's doing this and then this. And so, yeah. So it's not always in, like a perfect timeline, but yeah. Yeah, we gain yeah. the timeline by, by comparing and contrasting them to gain the clearest picture of the timeline. Awesome. Cool. Cool. All right, Clear. so before we go any further, there's a couple of other things that I think are worth drawing out. Now, Cana was a city in Galilee, mm-hmm. and it was, depending on which archaeological finds you you guess, because over time they've, they've changed where they think Cana, which city is the historical Cana, but Basically, it's within eight miles of Nazareth, or thirteen kilometers. So this is this is within well within a day's journey from Jesus's hometown, and this I think is critical to think about because Jesus says in another another place in the Gospels that he goes to his hometown at some point in his ministry, and he's rejected by the people, and they're asking him for signs, prove to us that you're some special person, right? And he says, oh, I'll, I'm not going to give you these signs. And what's really fascinating is that according to John's account, the very first miracle that Jesus performs is actually in his home region mm. within a day's walk of his own hometown. Mm. So they had given, he had given them evidence. 
Yeah. They had been they had been seeing and hearing of things that were done. It's very possible that there were other people from Nazareth there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is from Nazareth, and she's at the wedding feast. So there, it's very plausible that there were people from there. It's you know, it, people don't tend to travel too many miles away from their hometown in this context mm-hmm. in their entire lifetime. So, yeah. within a day's journey, is kind of like everybody knows each other's business. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Anything else that we can draw out of this? So just to give a a, a bit of a a summary of what's going on here. Jesus is at the wedding. His disciples are at the wedding. This kind of scene kind of it, it's almost like Jesus is being introduced as a teacher or a rabbi now to the community. He's in this space and notice that his mother seems to have some sort of involvement in the wedding, right? It, she seems to be very concerned and you know maybe that's just as a motherly thing. My experience is that mothers tend to be a little bit involved and uh, when it comes to family things like a wedding, mm. there's, there's a lot of significance here. We're going to talk about the significance of Jesus' first miracle being at a wedding as we go through, but it's really interesting that she is in this position where she comes and she puts Jesus on the spot. And what does she say to him? She's like, hey, they don't have any wine. Yeah, they've run out. They've yeah. run out of the, yeah. of the juice. This is a part of the celebration. We'll talk a bit more about that as we go on and we come back from our next song. But notice Jesus' response. He says, woman. Now, in our context, that term is like laced with Whoa. Uh, you know, machismo and uh, yeah. misogyny, right? <laughs> but yeah. in the context of this, this is a term of respect and endearment. And it's, in fact, the same term that he uses when he's hanging upon the cross and he says – I think it's John who he put entrusts his mother to when he dies. He calls her that woman, that same term there. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of respect. And so Jesus answers with respect. But what does he say? He says, my hour has not yet come. And we're going to see throughout the journey of John that Jesus does things on time. People wanted him to come and announce his, his messiahship now, but the time had not yet come. This is A.G. and Kate. He turned the water into wine. He turned the water into wine. He turned the water into wine. In a little Canaan town, the word went all around them. He turned the water into wine. He walked upon the Sea of Galilee. The sea of Galilee. He shouted far and wide. He calmed the raging tide. Yes, he walked upon the sea of Galilee. He turned water into wine. Did my Lord now? He turned water into wine. In a little king.
said, go and tell no man. But they shouted it through the land. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and uh, we wanted to just encourage you that you can call in with your questions uh, for our Question of the Week portion that we'll get to. We've had one question already, so thanks for that, Margie, and uh, we'll be addressing that at our Question of the Week portion. But we also wanted to encourage you, so you can call in. I'll give you the number in just a second, but we're going to give you the code word at some point during this Bible study today, and if you call in with that code word, you're going to receive a free copy of this. We've got one more to give away, I think. So that's exciting. Two. We've got two more to give away. There's still two. Oh, very exciting. There's still two. So make sure you hang out for that code word. And uh, the DVD was called Jesus 101, and it's a video collection going through the teachings of the Gospel of John and particularly going through object lessons to help illustrate that from normal items that you might find in your life or your house. Hmm. So if you'd like to get your hands on that, when we give you the code word, you can call or text 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. All right, so Jesus has just been instructed by his mother. Can you please turn the – not turn the water into wine. Can you please do something about this problem of there being no more wine at the wedding feast? And Jesus' response is, my time has not yet come. But notice what happens after that. I love this. I love this. This reminds me of like, I'm going to say this. I hope that no one's offended by this because I think it's an endearing thing. But this sounds like a typical mother. Like, what does she say? She goes away from this circumstance and she just knows and trusts Jesus, will respect her wishes and that he will do what he is able to do. And she just turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. And then she just walks away in total confidence. And I don't know about you, but I don't know what it's like in Samoa. But like in my experience with mothers, man, that's like a legit 
conversation right there. Yeah. Is that, is that legit to yeah, your, that's a very your legit family's culture as well? Because yeah. my, my family's culture is a bit like Because the expectation that. is you're not only going to do it, you're going to do it well. That's right. <laughs> and you're going to do it now. That's right. You've been like, instructed. Oh. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. So what's going to happen? Jesus is instructed, and we're going to continue reading in John chapter 2, verse 6. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water, po- water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior... You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Awesome. Let's pause there for a moment. Okay, so what's happening? What's going on here? Jesus is instructed by his mother, hey, can you do something about the wine? He says, my time has not yet come. In other words, he's trying to indicate it is not the time for me to reveal my Messiahship in the way that you're expecting. Right, mm. and we do, we find out in throughout the Gospel of John. There's a bunch of verses, and we're going to come through those. This is a theme that's going to come back out. Jesus is not doing things until it hits the right timeline according to Bible prophecy, and so he's. It's not the time for him to reveal his his messiahship in full blown, you know, manifestation. Full glory. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. So so what's, so what's going happening? on here? What happens after that? Okay. So he does exactly as his mom asks him to do, which is. Uh, Talk to the servants. So he tells the servants, grab the jars that are there. And these jars are big, like they're 20, 30 gallons, which is... So when you put that together, because I wrote it down, so you've got this look on your face like, how many gallons is that and how many liters? But it's okay. I wrote it down because I I knew I would forget. So 20 or 30 gallons. Now, remember, a gallon is approximately four liters. Technically, it's like 3.79. So with a calculator's help, we discovered that this is between 120 to 180 gallons or 454.8 liters minimum. Wow. Over 450 liters, anywhere up to 682.2 liters. So between 450 and 680 liters of wine has been made here. That's a lot. That is a huge amount of whatever this beverage is. Yes. This is a significant amount. Yeah. And then what happens? And then they take some to the feast. So, and the the master of the ceremony, so the the um, MC, so to speak, MC um, has a sip of the wine and says to says to the servants, "What is this? Uh, usually, we bring out the good stuff first, and we bring the bad stuff out later. But this is later, and you're bringing the good stuff out. Isn't that interesting? Mm. There are so many things that we can draw out of this, right?" And you got to remember, so like we were talking about in the in the, the the marriage facts, the wedding facts, sorry, I should say, in the in our, in our earlier in the show, it's really interesting to note marriages, marriage festivities, weddings took place over a number of days, typically in this culture at this time period, yeah. much like it does in some places in the world still today, like India, Sri Lanka, etc. But so very different than a Western wedding. But in that context, you got to remember that this is a celebration. This is a huge celebration. And one thing that I think is fascinating to note here, and, and I think, by the way, we're going to comment a little bit about the wine because I know that some of you in your minds are thinking, well, what's the deal with the wine? Mm. Is Jesus 
approving alcohol, disapproving of alcohol. What's the deal? We're going to talk about that a little bit, but I want to highlight something. That's not the primary purpose of this story. The primary purpose of this story is not to, to address the issue of alcoholic beverages or not. The primary purpose of this story, as far as I can see, is that Jesus does his first sign at a wedding. This is significant. There is a, there's incredible significance in this that cuts down really deep. And we're going to address that other question a little bit later. If you've got more questions, send them in for question of the week, and we'll, we'll get down with that a bit later. But here's the point. Jesus is doing his first sign according to John. Now, there were seven signs that are labeled outrightly where in the Gospel of John where it says Jesus performed his next sign. What are these signs pointing to? They're pointing to who he is as the Son of God. The whole first half of the Gospel of John is called the Book of Signs, often by scholars, because that's the main point. And it's interesting that he later on is going to make mention of an eighth sign in this very same chapter that's alluded to, which is the whole second half of the book's focus of, of, of John. Now, why am I saying this? Because Jesus' first miracle of seven that are in the book of signs in the first half of the book of John, it takes place where? At a wedding. At a wedding. Mm. Jesus is performing a miracle, a blessing, where? At, at a the, wedding. At a wedding. That's yeah. right. right? It was, yeah. Sorry, it wasn't a trick question. Just trying okay. to labor the point. Why is this so significant? Well, let's hearken back to a book called Genesis. And I want you to think about something. In Genesis, did you know that the very first thing that God ever blesses, if I'm reading the text correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I can read in Genesis chapter 1, the very first blessing pronounced by God on earth is this. Genesis 1 verse 28, it says, Then God blessed them, Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. And then he goes on to say, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the earth, right? What is he saying? What is the first blessing? The first blessing is upon one man and one woman in a holy matrimony, creating the family upon which is the bedrock of all human society. That is the first thing that God ever blesses, right? Mm. The first thing that's made holy is the Sabbath, but that doesn't come until later in the story. The first thing that God blesses, the first blessing he pronounces upon humanity is essentially at a wedding. It's a blessing upon the unity of marriage, which is taking place between one man and one woman. That's God's design. That's God's intention. And he is uplifting here. Jesus is upholding the holy sanctity of the marriage union that God himself designed to be the way of humanity. Jesus' first miracle is blessing and affirming the scriptural narrative of marriage. So if you ever want to put yourself in a position to think Jesus didn't think highly of marriage, bum bum, read John. Jesus is upholding the sanctity and the holiness of marriage. His teachings on marriage are very strict compared to anything that you would or I would, would hear anywhere else in the world. And he's upholding this marriage union. It's in fact the very union that God uses in the New Testament to describe over and over and over again the unity between Christ Jesus and his body, the church, Right? Not not Jesus being married to individuals, right? No, but Jesus being married, so to speak, united with the church, which is every believer, right? Made up of the body of believers. And I love this because what Jesus is doing here is he's blessing the sanctity of marriage, and he's affirming that. And it also highlights that Jesus actually cares about the normal, mundane, human things that we celebrate. Jesus is not opposed to pleasure as such. He's, in fact, the inventor of pleasure in the right ways to be experienced in the right time that will actually give you the only satisfaction, the fullest satisfaction is only ever found in God's ways. 
And look at him highlighting this here, and I love this. He's upholding this, and this is his very first miracle, and it matches that same picture. It matches it. Isn't that fantastic? So cool. And this is Jesus' first sign identified here. Wow, we've got so much more to say, but we're going to come back after this song and explore this a little bit more. This is Keith and Kristen Getty, Echoes of Heaven. I turn, I come to you, let my heart be still, as I listen to your voice, may I take my fill, for I bring my life to Knowing I'll find I'll never be yours As you will be mine With the first light of dawn I won't hide my face I will open my hand to the hold of your grace As the echoes of heaven bind up our hearts No shadow that falls can tear us Apart. Though the summer grows old and the autumn draws near, my soul is a child free from every fear for the You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM Radio. We just want to do another shameless plug. Hang out for that code word because I'm itching to tell it to you because I haven't invented it yet. I don't know what it is. Maybe (laughs) Tash will say it today. That'd be even more exciting. But when you hear the secret word, the first two callers in are going to get a free copy of Jesus 101, the Gospel of John. And just, and it's a DVD, guys. It's, it's a not DVD. A book. Yeah. It's not a book. So if you're like me, yeah. and uh, I was like, that's not true. I actually like books a lot. So do I. But I never read the ones that I get for free because I've got too many free ones on my shelf. So I'm the same. <laughs> yeah. Uni students are bad for reading. Anyway, um, we just wanted to encourage you to call or text in when you hear that code word. You can get a free copy of this DVD going through the Gospel of John. And also call or text in with your questions, and uh, we'll uh, try to address those in our question of the week. You can do both of those things by calling or texting 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Anything that we wanted to draw back out? So we're still talking about 
the wedding. We don't want to spend all of our time there because there's still half the chapter to go after that. No, that's okay. But I think that this is there's just a lot of significance in this chapter. There is a lot of significance in this chapter, and I just wanted to draw on, oh, the water that they use that the jars mm. like why that much water? I mean, obviously there was a lot a lot of days left in the wedding celebration, but um, this should be for an application later, but. When Jesus asks them to draw water, he doesn't just use any kind of water. He uses the ceremonial water, like the, the jars that's supposed to be for washing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's any significance, but um, just from what uh, what we see, like he's turning something that we would use to get rid of our dirt into something like sweet and good. Mm. And so uh, when you think about your own life, like Jesus doesn't just like heal or take away your sins. He makes something good and makes something sweet. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. And, and, and it's in abundance too. So it's like it's not a small. Um, he didn't just change a couple of bottles. Totally, it was just huge gallons, huge amount. Yeah, of, huge amount. Like four hundred and fifty liters is like that's that's four hundred and fifty yeah. bottles of yeah that are, that are liters. Yeah. Like think about that. Yeah. That's a significant amount of it's, of liquid. <laughs> it's also really neat to note that he says he says to them, fill it to the brim. And there's so many things we could draw out of this, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. But notice. Jesus didn't do everything. Jesus didn't just say, all right, snap my fingers, boom, go get it. It's ready to go. It's appeared on everybody's table. Just have the juice, right? What does he do? He says to the servants, you're going to participate in my miracle. You have to get up and go do the part that you can do. And the part that they could do, they did. Yeah. It was the part that they could not do that Jesus stepped in and filled the gap. And sometimes I think in life we put ourselves in a position where we we want to see God do things, but we're unwilling to come to the table and do our part. And then we want to blame God when it doesn't happen. But really, that's not the way that Jesus demonstrates miracles happening. So often people are coming, and they're they're coming to Jesus through adversity to beg him for help. And it's the things that they can't do that Jesus does for them miraculously. But the things that they can do for themselves, he allows them to do. Take up your bread, not your bread, your bedroll and walk, right? He's not like, okay. right? Like there's so many instances where this is the case. And I love this. He says, fill it up to the brim, right? Fill it up to the brim. There's no, there's nothing there but water, right? You've done everything that you can. It's just water. You can't make it into wine, but Jesus does that part for you. And there's no then ability to say, oh, well, somebody dumped a little bit of concentrated wine on top, which by the way, in case you didn't know, I'm going to get into the alcohol thing right now just for a little bit because I think it's really important. When you look at this story, you have to understand something. There is a very big distinction in Scripture between the word that's used for wine and the word that's used for other alcoholic beverages, right? So wine, the word wine in the Greek, oinos, or in the Hebrew, I can't remember the term right now off the top of my head, it's not necessarily alcoholic or non-alcoholic. you got to remember that in their context in the first century, in the middle of Palestine, in a hot weather you don't have the same ability to keep keep yeast or uh, decomposition out of everything. So what they would typically do is they would boil down wine and they would save it as a concentrated drink. And when we say wine in this instance, we're talking about grape juice, right? They would take grapes, they would s- squash them with their feet, by the way. This is not like the cleanliest process. And then they would take that squashed grape juice and they would collect it in, in, in jars or skins and they would often boil this down so that they could keep it for prolonged periods of time. Because guess what? You don't have refrigerators. How are you going to have grapes when they're only in season at the time of year when they're in season? So they would boil this stuff down, keep it concentrated, and usually people were basically using grape juice like cordial. 
And so often there was a, a small amount of alcoholic content that would be there, but it was minuscule. And so when you read in the scriptures, the consistent, very consistent message through all of scripture, and I've got stacks of verses here that we could go through, condemns the use of alcohol over and over and over and over again. You know, it's, the Bible says in Proverbs, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Well, by the way, first of all, it always condemns beer and the other things that are explicitly alcoholic. But when it talks about wine, it's talking about everything that's in the category of grape juice. So that could be including fermented, and it is always going to potentially include unfermented. And basically everything's in a range on that. And and the Bible says don't linger long at the wine. Why is this? Because if you're drinking grape juice that's been boiled down and then it's poured out like cordial, there may be some small alcoholic content. But you might be somebody who's trying to concentrate it up to get to get inebriated, and that's always condemned in Scripture. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you got questions and you want to ask more about that, please send in your questions. We'll, we can go through that way more in detail. But that's not really the, the main priority of what we wanted to draw out of this chapter. But that lesson is there, because think about this. If Jesus is the author of Scripture, right, if Jesus is the Word of God and God's Word is truth, and all throughout the Old Testament, every instance that includes alcohol is a bad story, the first instance of alcohol includes some sort of sexual immorality between Ham and his father. That's the first instance. The first like 10 instances where alcohol is introduced are horrific, ugly stories with sexual immorality and violence and murder. And sexual immorality is, is way up there in that. And by the way, the statistics on that are outrageous. And I can share some of those with you later if you want. <sighs> Sorry, no, no, I'm getting just, off my soapbox okay. here a little I'm bit. It's okay. I'm thinking of Lot and the think, two daughters. Yeah, I'm Lot's daughters, of, yeah. the whole awful situation there. Alcohol is so condemned throughout Scripture that when Jesus makes this, how is it possible that Jesus would make 450 liters of alcohol to say, one in 70 is going to become so highly addicted to alcohol, it's going to ruin your life, and I'm just going to throw the party on so you can all get drunk. The actual fact is that everybody in their culture and their context, and you can read this in historical, non-biblical sources, even in the Greek world, the most highly esteemed beverage that involved grapes was pure, fresh freshly harvested grape juice. And so when they're talking about the grape juice being the best that they could have had, that means it's the freshest, ripest, non-fermented grape that you could get. And this is what Jesus is making. Yeah. And can I just add as well? Go for it. Because they've been drinking whatever they've been drinking, when the new stuff comes, it it tastes very different. Yeah. And it tastes sweet as well. Yeah. So it's it I would lean towards it has to be you know, fresh grape juice as well. That's right. Yeah. Fermented juice does not taste sweet the it way the fresh yeah. juice tastes. Yeah. The sugar has gone through the process of fermentation. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, if you'd like to ask more, if you want to debate on that or anything like that, please call or text in at 0491-064-669 because we love to hear from you and uh, we'd love to explore that. Maybe we'll explore that in our question of the week if somebody's curious about that. We can go through in more detail if you'd like to know more. But uh, we're going to continue on from there, and we're going to continue on into the rest of the story. So let's jump. Let's finish the, the rest of that next little verse, verse 12. John chapter 2, verse 12. Oh, I'm so sorry. Before oh, do it, do it. Before we get, get into, into 12, uh, just... We're going to have to race for the rest, because we're finishing the chapter Okay, today, we, we so, will finish the so chapter. We got just, it. You make your point. You so got it. the beginning <laughs> of signs Jesus did in Can of Galilee, I just want to make a small, a small stop at the word signs. Boom. Because the word signs in the Greek is semenyon, and... I'm pretty sure you did the same Greek word study when for Greek. Anyway, for for our, one of our classes, um, our Greek classes. But the word, the word there for Greek, it talks about God's power shown 
shown in nature or God's power shown visibly because God's power can't always be shown. So we're, it's not just the first sign that Jesus is doing. It's the first sign of him showing his power. Mm. Yeah. So I just want to. That's awesome. Yeah. And if you think about it this way, God is the God of harvest as well, right? There are so many feasts and things that are going on that remind us that if you want rain, trust in God, follow his ways. He will be the provider of rain. Come into the land of milk and honey, the land of Canaan, where they're going to have grapes and harvest. And so too here, Jesus is providing them with harvest, right? The miracle of water. Like water turns into grape juice all the time, by the way. Water falls from the sky. It feeds grape trees. They grab the nutrients from the soil, and that fills up the moisture in the plant, and they produce grape. Like there's a connection there that's real and literal. But Jesus is like fast-forwarding the process, so to speak, and doing it without the plant. And he's like, boom, Mm. here's the harvest. God is able to do things that you or I could never even understand, and Jesus is demonstrating his, his sonship here in this story. This is Kathy Tricoli, Water into Wine. My blinded eyes were made to see My captive heart has been set free Looking back, I see the 
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio. And before we do anything else, what's the code word, Tash? It's time for the code word. You got you to gotta say a word. You just, you're on the spot. Pick one. Go. Nature. Nature. There you go. That took a lot of thinking to get that one word out. Anyway, I don't know what it's the code word is nature. So if you call in, if you're one of the first two callers right now with the code word nature, you can call or text into 0491-064-669. That number again is 0491-064-669. And if you're one of the first two callers with the word, what was that word again? Nature. Then you are going to get a free nature. copy of a DVD entitled Jesus 101, Exploring the Gospel of John Through uh, Object Lessons and Connecting That to, to Things in Our Normal Life That Will Help Us to Remember and Understand Those Lessons Better. You can still There's still time, by the way, to call or text in for our Question of the Week portion. So if you send in a question, you can uh, we can have a look at that. We've got a couple of questions in already, which is exciting. So thanks, Freco. Thanks, Margie. And anyone else, if you've got a question, send them in, and we will answer those after the news, after our next break. You can do that by calling or texting the same number, 0491-064-669. All right, so we're going to continue the story now, and we're going to continue on from John chapter 2, verse 13. You there, Tash? No, we haven't read 12. Oh, 12. That's a guess. Just jump in. I'm going to jump in Just correct me and go. After this, after this, <laughs> he went down. Sorry. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. All right, let's pause there. There is a lot going on in this. Okay, so what? where is Jesus in this story? So Jesus is now in Jerusalem, and he's in the temple. And on arriving at the temple, he sees that there's it's it's like a, a farm. Oh, not a farm, but like there's livestock It's everywhere. more like a market. A market. Or it's like just, a, uh, oh, what's the word like I'm an looking open for? Air. Auction. That's the word. Yeah. That's, it's more yeah. like an auction. Yeah. Now, here's a question. So they were going down for the Passover, it said, correct? Yes. So the Passover is at hand. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. This is one of the three annual feasts that people would come all the way to Jerusalem for, if I remember correctly. I always, when it comes to that stuff, I'm always second-guessing myself. But I think that's right. I think it was the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, and one other. What's going on here? Why is Jesus going in? It sounds like Jesus is upset. It sounds like he's having quite a strong reaction. In fact, it's the strongest reaction that we will see anywhere in Jesus' ministry. It's the one that is most strong. 
why is he doing this? It says that he, he grabbed some cords together, like some strands of rope or something, and he spun them into a, a whip, and he's starting to chase people out of yeah. the temple area yeah. where this is going on. Now, in order for us to understand this, we got to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Number one, why are people coming for the Passover feast? What, what's the Passover about? Well, they're coming to Jerusalem to sacrifice, um, uh, or to give their sacrifice because that's right. Um, in remembrance of what um, what God did for them when they were in Egypt, and um, so they're just remembering um, how God delivered them. And as part of the Passover, they have to sac- do a sacrifice of the lamb, and then there's certain things that they do. And, but it's also a community gathering, so um, they come together and they eat and they celebrate. So when we look at this, this is all symbolic of God's salvation, right? Because God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And this is all pointing forward. Not It's not just pointing backwards, right? Passover wasn't just pointing backwards to salvation from Egypt. It was also pointing forward to Jesus coming and saving humanity from the slavery of sin and death. And so when he comes here, he's got people gathered from all over Israel all over Judea, they have come to this place. Some people have come from other places in the world, mm. right? From places living outside of, of of Judea, outside of Israel at this time. And they've traveled all the way here in order to participate in these holy services, pointing forward to salvation, right? So when you think about this, what's going on here is if you're traveling from a long distance, you you need to come and bring those animals. But if you're traveling from a long way away, you're not going to walk all the way there with sheep and oxen. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be slow. You're going to be away from work, from your family for longer. So a lot of people, what they would do is they would they would sell their animals, and then they would take that money to Jerusalem, and they would get that money changed into the temple uh, currency from whatever currency they were back home, and then they would have to purchase, right? They would then purchase an offering. Now, here's the question. Can you see how people would be easily taken advantage of in this circumstance, right? Because you could charge them more money. You could do a bad exchange rate. You could give them animals that were not perfect as they were supposed to be. You could give them the lame animals that they were not supposed to offer an offering because it was supposed to be perfect and flawless, pointing to the perfect flawlessness of Jesus, right? His sinlessness. And so in this space, what's really happening is that people are being taken advantage of by the church, by people inside the church building here, inside the courtyard of the temple, it seems, and they are coming to a place where they're taking advantage of people who are trying to earnestly follow God and experience salvation. Does that sound familiar to you about any other periods in church history where perhaps indulgences were used or where times where people have have abused the power that they have had in ministry or in, in pastoral situations where people in in religious and spiritual authority positions have abused their power to take uh, take advantage of people for finances. Mm. This is exactly what's happening. Why does this make Jesus so upset? Because you're abusing people who are earnestly seeking God and you're defacing his image by doing this. You're going to how many people leave the church because of issues like this because of corruption in among leadership, right? Lots of people leave for these reasons. And Jesus comes into this situation. He says, look, man, 
you cannot be doing this. You're taking my father's house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, it says elsewhere, and you have turned it into a house of trade, of merchandise, a place to gain money and finances, and you've turned religion, you've turned spirituality, you've turned a walk with God into a source of financial gain. You've turned it into a business. That is a serious, scathing rebuke that he's giving to this situation. And he chases them out. And so what happens in response to that is, is, is shocking, right? What should be an appropriate response to that? Oh, yeah. Being kicked out of the temple? Yeah, what would be an appropriate response to Jesus doing this? If you were a chief priest and Jesus was doing this, this sort of justice, what would you do? What should you do? Well, I'll be like, who is this guy? What is he doing? Well, that's, that's yeah. what they do, but what they should have done is repent. This is true. They should have acknowledged their guilt. They should have acknowledged that what they were doing was abusing people and abusing religiosity. This is spiritual abuse. And so what they do is they respond like that, and they say, hey, what authority do you have to do this, homie? Right? They didn't say homie, but that's how I say it in my head. And they say, what sign do you show us? What sign do you show us? What authority do you have to make this kind of change? Who are you is their implication who are you? Show us a sign that you're from God and that you're not just in here upsetting our system. And it's interesting. What is the sign that he says? He says, if you tear down this temple, I will rebuild it again in three days. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? This is the second temple, not Solomon's temple, the one that was built after the captivity in Babylon. It took us 46 years, our ancestors, to build this temple. What are you? You're out of your mind, Jesus. But Jesus isn't talking about that temple because that temple has a lifespan on it. But he's talking about the real temple. And what's that real temple that he's referring to? His body. His body, because mm-hmm. he is the sacrificial lamb. He is the chief priest, right? The high priest in heaven that's going to be standing for us. He is the one. And he says, you tear down my body, and I will raise it up from the grave in three days. Because you cannot tear down God's way. God's way will prevail. And you have turned my father's house into a house of merchandise, and that's not okay. You cannot do this. God will not stand for this kind of abuse. And you tear down my temple, and I will overcome death and sin and the grave. This is Carol Robertson, One Pair of Hands. Calm the raging storm 
and thousands of people were fed. On her hands said, I love you, and those hands were nailed to a tree. Those hands are so strong, so when life goes wrong, put your faith into one pair of hands. Those hands are so strong, so when Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Hey everyone, we're the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson, and you can join us every morning on the Breakfast Show. We cover news that matters and do our encounter with God. We also have an intense quiz, great giveaways, or inspiring music, and best of all, you can have your say and be a part of the Brecky family. We're live across Australia, so check your Faith FM program for your local airtime. This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. Hey, you're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and it has come to an amazing time of the day. What time is it? I don't know if you heard my prayer. I forgot to pray before we did this segment, so I had a little prayer while we were doing the song. I thought I was silent, but I wasn't. So you've heard my little prayer. Anyway, we are back for question of the week, my favorite portion of the show, arguably, and uh, super excited. we got a couple questions in today, one from Margie, and her question is this. What happened to John when he was put in the oil? Was it like the three worthies in Daniel that never even had the smell of the flames? So for those that are unfamiliar with this, this is talking about John, who is the author of the Gospel of John, we believe. And uh, he was, uh, according to church tradition, he was in a position where, well, actually, let's say it this way. So all of the all of the apostles were martyred. They were all put to death for their faith, with the exception of Judas, who who committed suicide, unfortunately. Um even the guy who they picked to replace him, Matthias, was, according to church tradition, according to history that we have from the, the early church fathers, says that he was martyred. So Peter was crucified upside down, they say. Uh, I'm trying to remember the names and which deaths. One guy, I think it was, oh, I feel like it was James or Andrew, went all the way to India, I think it was, and was speared to death. You had people who were who died all of these horrific deaths. Paul was beheaded. You've got all of these other things. But John... John was the only one who was not martyred. However, according to church tradition, now the answer to your question, Margie, is not in the Bible. It doesn't tell us anything about his death in the Bible. In fact, it tells us very little about the deaths of any of these, except for we know that James, the brother of John, was, I think, one of the first martyrs, um, and that Stephen was martyred. But we don't know too much about the apostles from Scripture and how they died. However, according to early church tradition, 
um, they believe that John was – they attempted to kill him by putting him in a burning pot of oil, like boiling oil. And so according to the tradition, and there's a couple of different um, responses into this, but basically according to the theologian Tertullian, it says that they tried to kill him by pouring burning oil on him and that – or sorry, he was plunged into the burning oil, boiling oil, so they – dipped him in a pot, basically, which is a very horrific thing to think about. And then according to Tertullian, it says he miraculously escaped unscathed, that he came out and there was no damage. So if Tertullian's account is correct, it sounds like it's very possible that it was similar to the three young men who were put into the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel that you're alluding to. But again, we don't know from Scripture, but this is based on the the early church traditions. So as far as we know, that sounds like what was what was taking place. We believe that we have his grave in the city of Ephesus, where he later became uh, an elder, I guess, and, and looked after the church in Ephesus, which, interestingly enough, was a very spiritual place, but not in the right ways, not in good ways. Um, but he was he was ministering there. All right, so hopefully that's helpful to you, Margie. Our second question, have you got that for us, Tash? Yeah, I do. It says, uh, was the Lord upset with his mom when she asked for a miracle? And this is... Um, this is from the story yeah, today. this is from our story today. And who's that question from? That's from Freco. Thank you, Freco, for that yeah, question. Yeah, question. All right, do you want to tackle this one, Tash? Um, yes, we did. We did quickly mention um, in in their culture calling calling him calling sorry calling his mother woman was actually a term of um, respect. respect and is actually endearment. And maybe in our culture, if you re- when when you're reading it, it just sounds a little harsh. If that makes sense, or um, it sounds. Um, like he's being disrespectful, but again, we have to remember um, just the context, uh, the cultural context of what's going on here, and um, it says as well. There's a few other times um, when Jesus refers to, uh, like when he's when he's hanging on the cross, he refers to his mother again as woman, and there's a couple other times I don't actually have the reference with me, where yes, he doesn't, he never actually calls her by her name, but calls her only by woman or yeah. And so, is 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 he upset? No, uh, I, 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 from 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 this respectful way that he's addressing her, um, we we could say no. Um, I think that's a fair. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. It yeah. sounds from the context. It sounds from the textual clues that he's speaking to her in a term of endearment, a term of respect. Now, you might you might be wondering also, is he upset with her for trying to kind of like get him to do a miracle to bring in his messiahship because i mean let's be honest she'd she'd spent most of jesus's life being known as somebody who had done illegitimate things he was known as being uh, i don't know how to use that term without saying a word that might be considered offensive but he was the you know people considered him to be the bastard child right that he wasn't actually the 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 son of joseph and mary that she had had him out of wedlock that there there was a scandal that was that was believed by most of the people. So she would have been looked upon with disdain, and so would Jesus. We know the truth is that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit through Mary, um, and that Joseph was not his his father in that sense, but raised him. But there was this this cloud of scandal around. So you can imagine that she would have had some 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 desires in her heart to have that rectified. Like my boy, my my baby boy that God promised that was miraculous, that was is the Messiah. Um, we, I want to see him come and do these things. And she probably also had misunderstandings about the Messiah's role, just like everybody else did. So that's very plausible. And Jesus' response here is not one of 
that, that seems to convey a matter of upsetness or, or anger at her for this, but it's, it's one of caring and concern because notice that he actually honors her request and he performs his very first sign by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in this space. And so that seems to give us the indication that when he's saying, my hour has not yet come, he's trying to say, you, you don't quite understand how it's going to happen yet, but I will respect your wishes as God allows me to do this, right? So, so hopefully that's an, uh, a helpful answer to you, Freco. And um, yeah, with the limited time that we have remaining, um, I just wanted to, to address the, a little bit more a couple of passages that the Bible talks about with regards to, um, to alcoholic or, or rather to intoxicating beverages is probably a better way to say it. So in Proverbs 20 verse 1, it says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And by the way, when it says wine, it's always talking about juice of the grape of some sort or description. However, when it says strong drink, it's referring to other intoxicating beverages. So every time it, rec- it talks about other intoxicating beverages, they're only ever condemned, right? Wine is a word that's used that describes both, you know, a broad spectrum of things in terms of juices of the grape. And so the context helps to define that. But whenever it talks about strong drink, that refers to beer or, you know, this is before the invention of distillation, but all of these other things, mead, etc., it's always condemned in Scripture. When we go to Proverbs 23, 29 onwards, it says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions or complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup. And it says later on, at last it bites like a serpent, it stings like a viper. And he who's led astray by it is not wise. So it says that elsewhere. That wasn't in that particular spot. I couldn't find it because I was reading too fast. But the, the general consensus throughout Scripture is that alcohol and intoxicating beverages are not in your best interest. As I kneel in the darkness In the middle of the night I'm praying for assurance Everything's gonna be alright And Lord, I see another battle It's out in front of me I'm afraid I won't be able And I'll go down in He said, do you remember where I brought you from? Just take a look behind you at how far you've come. Oh, and every time you ask me, didn't I deliver you? So why would you be thinking that I wouldn't see? Searched until I found you And I do it all again 
she's talking to her father in a house that was once a home. She said, my bills are coming due, Lord, and six days is not that long. She hears a voice so soft and low. He says, I've moved like that before, and I'll do this little thing. Oh, and I'll give you some. Real Faith with Ruby and Tash, and this is Faith FM. Awesome. So we hope that today's show has been a real blessing to you, and uh, we've come to the end of the show where we deal with some application questions. So what can we draw out of this passage of Scripture and apply in our lives? But before we do that, we have to read the last two verses, I think, of the chapter. So let's read those and then draw out some applications. What can we take from this? So in verse 23, and it goes like this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew that what was in man. I love that. It's kind of difficult language here, but I love the idea that it conveys. He wasn't entrusting himself to the reputation or to the witness or to the testimony of anyone else because he didn't need their reputation or their power or their prestige or their confirmation or affirmation to affirm his ministry because he knew who he was in in God. And I think there's a lot of, there's something we can take out of that. We need to know who we are not based on what other people say. We need to know who we are based on what God says. And if you find your identity in Christ alone, you are setting yourself up for success in life in the sense that that's the only place that your identity can truly be valued and found. And I love that. And Jesus had to do the same thing. If you think about his baptism, God says, this is, present tense, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? And what's the first thing that Satan attacks when he goes away from that situation? He says, if you are the son of God, prove it. If you are the son of God, prove it. And Jesus doesn't play those kinds of games, and neither do we have to play those kinds of games. Confess your sins to God, know that you are forgiven, repent, walk in his ways by his grace, and know that you are his beloved child. Boom. There's a good lesson we can take out of those last two verses. What else can we draw from this? Well, you got that from the two verses. There's so much more. Oh, um, uh, from the the wedding, um, from the wedding, and you just unpa- oh, we're unpacking about the first miracle that Jesus did was a wedding at a wedding, 
So it wasn't people focus on the turning of the water into wine, and yes, that is this, that's part of what he did, but it was it was showing who he was through marriage, and that the very the very original blessing that he gave to mankind was was marriage. Yeah, yeah, and totally. just just how important it is, and not only the sanctity of it, but um, just how important it is for. Today, like some people think that it's irrelevant, but I mm. no, it's not. It still is. Yeah, that's right. It didn't disappear at the cross. Yeah, God's call. In fact, Jesus is more precise about the specifications of what is okay or not okay regarding marriage and sexuality than basically anywhere else in Scripture. Just about, and um, he says some of the strongest words. He affirms what he created in the beginning. I love that. Yeah, so if you're in that place, and by the way, this is not a space to say, oh man, if you've made mistakes in that area, you're a bad person or any of that kind of nonsense. The reality is all of us have made mistakes. Yeah. And and if I'm honest, I've made mistakes in those areas big time uh, in, the, in the years of my life. But let me tell you, God's ways is the only way that is fulfilling and satisfying. And so if you find yourself in a position where you're living outside the design of God's ideals for marriage and relationships, I want to challenge you and encourage you. God is calling you into something better. He's inviting you to walk away from illicit, immoral things and to walk into the beauty and the joy that is provided by him in his design. Because God wants the best things for you. Jesus is here blessing one of the most basic, fundamental you know, gifts given to humanity. And it's really beautiful that he's doing that. So bring it to Jesus. Jesus is able to heal and restore, and he's able to bring peace and joy and recovery in your life, even in those areas where we have made those big mistakes, because I know I've made them, and God has been able to bring about massive change, and he's still doing work in that space in my life too, and we'll continue as we surrender. I also love just in this, and this is a simple one, Jesus loves simple, holy pleasures, right? Jesus is not against you having simple, good honest fun. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people <laughs> yeah. think, oh, Jesus is like the stickler and, and he just hates fun. He's just the fun police, right? No. No, look, <laughs> it, w- when it comes to innocent social gatherings, Jesus is participating. Not only is he participating, he's blessing. Not only is he blessing, he's affirming. He's affirming this. And it's interesting. It's not just for the bride and the groom that this is taking place. It's also the family. It's also the friends. There's a celebration of this joining together of two families, of two lives. And this is the bedrock of human society. Without the family unit, all of society will fall apart. There is no society. You need the family unit to create humanity, right? (laughs) It's the bedrock of society. And Jesus is all for it. Isn't that beautiful? I just love that. And he's, he's, he's for innocent fun, social settings, connecting with other human beings is a part of what Jesus does, and he signals that by this, by this miracle. Another lesson that I think we can draw out of this is that, you know, we have to read Scripture with, with an honest, earnest, critical mind. You know what I mean? Not critical in that we need to be uh, skeptical or doubtful, but we need to actually read Scripture and understand and let it interpret itself to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, rather than throwing on it the meanings that we want to throw on it to support the whatever lifestyle we want to live. We need to look at, at Scripture earnestly and search for the answers. And I think that that's highlighted in this story as well, that when we take this story in isolation, we might be able to apply all sorts of meanings that are contrary to the rest of Scripture. But when we read it in its context, in its broader context, historically, culturally, and literarily against the rest of Scripture, we see that Jesus is consistent. You know, this this idea of 
of the, the grape juice being pure and holy and new wine, all of that stuff seems to be apparent when we put all these pieces together. Also, by the way, during Passover, which was just before this, you had to have no leaven in your house leading up to Passover, so it's kind of hard to ferment things when you don't have leaven in your house. Anyway, just another thought to throw at that. What else can we draw? I, I just want to um, – the jars. I was talking about it earlier, but – when Jesus gives, he gives in abundance. Boom! What a good point. And it's like to the brim, overflowing. Like it, it, and the way the world gives is the yeah. opposite. They give you the best at the beginning, and then it always and turns it to pot, right? Yeah. The world's promises, yeah. the devil's promises, they look alluring at first, just like the wedding feast comment by the, the dude. But Jesus' gift gets better and better. Yeah. Oh, that's a great... Boom. Yeah. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> So anyway, those are some lessons that I think we can draw out of this. And I think the important thing today, the most important thing is to recognize that Jesus is the miracle worker. It's in Jesus that we can find these things. And this first sign revealed his glory and gave his disciples confidence that he was who John had declared him to be, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. So remember, my friends, as you go throughout your your week to stay with God. And remember, real faith is live faith. faith.